0: yo guys what's going on welcome back to the cw clinic my name is chris i'm your host today i bring you a special guest however before i introduce our special guest and i might fuck up the pronunciation of his last name i want to tell you what we're going to talk about today which is a topic that is very hot right now, has nothing to do with politics, actually very little to do with politics, very little to do with anything negative and only positivity and growth. Today, we're gonna talk about the coveted subject, the subject that I know very little about, Bitcoin. And I brought my, my good friends. My buddy on the show, who is a subject matter expert, his name is Omar Sabek. 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 Yeah. I knew I would fuck it up. No, it's pretty close. Also, you can you can cuss on this show. Awesome. That's uh, my deal. Sabek. Sabek. Yeah. Omar Sabek. And before I turn it over to you, let me just give give everybody an introduction of Omar. Omar, at forty one years old, has semi retired from. I would just say semi retired, leaving the corporate world to go into business himself, developing Sasco? Sasco Digital Assets. Sasco yeah. Digital yeah. Assets. Sometimes I can't even read my own handwriting. <laughs> and I do apologize for that, guys. But opening Sasco Digital Assets, his consulting firm? Uh, yeah,
1: education, advisory, support, and service. Yep.
0: Uh, firm to educate and help others. Arguably become wealthy by educating and investing for clients in Bitcoin at 41 years old uh, through his investments in Bitcoin going back almost a decade. Uh, To 2013, yeah, about eight years, absolutely. Uh, So, without further ado, I think I did the actual introduction correctly. Uh, Omar, what's going on, man? It's good to be here. Thank it's you. Good
1: to be here. Thank I you. I met for you a couple here. of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had dinner and uh, at a really good restaurant, by the way. Yeah. I had a really, uh, really good meal there. Where, and where'd we go?
0: Uh, the cast iron chef. Cast iron chef. Shout out Attilio. It was awesome. Attilio, the owner, is one of my friends as well. He knows what he's doing. He's very, very good, isn't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, a, I'm big on kind of a carnivore diet, and they had a excellent, excellent meat menu. I think I had a. I think I went for the filet mignon then, which I don't typically do. Usually I go for the ribeye. You had the full filet, the twelve ounce. I did. Yes, and it was uh, tremendous. It was really good. It's uh, it it kind of reignited a. a uh an urge to start cooking on cast iron in me so i went oh, out and i got to all do this it. lodge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i getting all this lodge and uh now i have a nice collection on lodge and now i actually have to start cooking on it but yeah it was really really good thanks for taking me there of course
0: absolutely and uh it was recently my mother's birthday so i uh, that's her favorite restaurant that's the only place she wants to go for her birthday and I took her there, and we, we also took one other person who will not come on microphone and will not go on camera. However, we might be able to get her to say something. Did you like it, Paola? Me encanto. this is English. <laughs> 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 I really loved it. It was delicious. It was actually far the best steak I have had. You know what's funny? The state of Connecticut actually says that Attilio is the second best steak. In Connecticut. And I disagree. And I didn't meet Attilio until in 2018. We both as owner operators took home the award from Hartford Current Best Of. So there's a local award for each county. Best of Fairfield, Best of New Haven, Best of Litchfield, Best of Hartford, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. He took home Best, best Steakhouse of New Haven. I took home best gym of New Haven. And I have to put out that I was the first gym to take it away from the edge in almost two decades. Incredible, um, And that was a great uh, feat. But we met as best of owners. Mm. And we kind of just hit it off. And uh, I should know the episode that he was on this show. However, he does a fantastic job, and the signature to how he actually serves his meats are it's still cooking as it's brought out to you. So it's actually sizzling, and I think he uses olive oil. It might be olive or peanut. I don't claim to know. It's still actually cooking on the cast iron as it's brought out to you and when it's down in front of you, which is pretty cool, right?
1: Absolutely. It's one of those don't touch the hot plate kind yeah. of deals. You don't and, don't touch it. You know, and, uh, yeah, I, I, there's also a really good – do, do you mind if I do a little shout-out for a oh, place yes. that I love to get my yeah. steak from? So in Fairfield. Yeah. Uh, there's an area called the Brick Walk, and there's the Brick Walk Tavern in there. David Snyder is a chef. Amazing. You, get, you go over there, you get a ribeye for two, mm. and it's just insane. And I actually finished a ribeye for two on myself. I uh, I loved it that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big steak guy. I, I, don't don't, and I know you. a good steak when I see one. And at you do whatever you're doing over there, keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Have you ever been to Gabriella's in Greenwich? Gabriella's? No. Savage steak. But they're not a steak house. Have you been? No. Yeah. You have to take me. The host's, host's salary is a quarter million dollars a year. The host's, the host's salary. The host's salary. Incredible. So just the host of the restaurant is a quarter million dollars a year. They're doing well. Here. They're doing very well. Yeah. Probably a big hedge fundy kind of yeah, place. I would say so. Let's go there. Let's I, do I it. Mean, the first you time I, Should we do it? Oh, oh I, I am up for it. Let's do it. We're the, doing it. The interesting story. Yeah, please. The first time I went there, uh, the individual I went with had his hands kissed when we walked in. <laughs> but uh it's a hell of a steak it's a hell of a restaurant and has a great steak and we went out to kind of meet because our mutual friend who has also been on this show dr tar connected us because he thought that we should discuss specifically life and bitcoin and we went out to kind of just uh meet each other you know have some drinks have some great food so on and so forth and we hit it off really well and now we're here and what you're going to do today is you're not only going to teach me, but you're going to teach the entire audience about Bitcoin from the perspective of how it's changed your life and how it can change others' lives. Yeah. So I'm really, really looking forward to this, guys. And I think it's important to point out that I actually don't know. and I And, and I should preference with... I get asked about how to invest in and how much I've invested in Bitcoin at least once a week, right? And I always say the same thing. I don't understand it, which means I haven't invested in it, and I'm not going to tell you to invest in it because I don't believe that I can give financial advice that I know nothing about. Now, if it's on different topics, like maybe a little real estate, watches, um, so on and so forth, investing in yourself, I'm comfortable giving that kind of advice because I'm proven and I have a track record in it. When it comes to this, I know nothing about it. So you're, you're educating me as a three-year-old child, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah,
1: of course. And I think the nice thing about you is that you are, you know, totally open to learning about it, uh, but also, uh, you know, I'm meeting you on your level, your level of knowledge, okay. and we're going to take you from there. And what I hope we do is any question you have, mm-hmm. you know, there's no question that is you know too simple or there's no bad question. So I hope we, you know, and if we have to do uh, more part time, two and three, yeah, you know, you know um, I really enjoy educating people on Bitcoin. I've been studying it for years. I literally spend um, at least an hour or two every day just focused on you know what's happening and you know, doing what's called chain analytics to see how Bitcoin is moving between... Market market analysis. Um, Market analysis is definitely, um, you know, it's all about narratives and perceptions and capital inflows coming into the market. But one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that, and we're going to get into this, but one of the nice things about Bitcoin is it's a public blockchain. So I could just download it. I can uh, bring it into my computer. I can use graphing software. To determine trends, there's companies that do this now, there's a company called Glassnode you can make an account for, you can sign up for and what they'll do is they'll visualize aspects of the blockchain so that you can see for example the hash power and how many wallets have been created but you can also get really deep and see exactly what's happening. With all sorts of metrics across the blockchain, and that helps inform my investment strategy. It tells me when to, you know, when we're going to go into a bull market or when we're going to go into a bear market. Or if we're in a bull market, you know, when we're going to have corrections, and you can use that to, you know, kind of manage your investment. So it's hugely. I mean, that's very unique to Bitcoin. There's not. I don't think there's any other asset that uh, that you can do that with. And there's other attributes that Bitcoin has that makes it just an incredible investment.
0: So, so yeah, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, so what the fuck is Bitcoin? <laughs> like, 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 everybody, I think, is, is familiar with the word at this point, you know, but if you can explain what it is for me, I think it would really help me try to, like, conceptualize the concept.
1: Absolutely. So, I'm going to talk about Bitcoin uh, from two perspectives. First one is uh, it's a network. It's a monetary network. So you have a peer-to-peer network of individuals that have Bitcoin that own Bitcoin that are able to, without any, without going through any third party, transact that Bitcoin. Okay, so it think of it as value that can be spent over the internet over a network, uh, and that's revolutionary. Uh, the because there's just, Real significant engineering problems that Bitcoin solves. Bitcoin is a monetary network. Uh, It is completely decentralized, um, which is super important. Not only is it decentralized, but it's engineered to always uh, ensure that no particular party can take control of the network. And that is what makes Bitcoin really revolutionary. There's no figurehead. It's uh, what we call non sovereign, so it's not backed by any nation state. Uh, It's purely backed by the consensus of the participants on the network. So uh, it has the same kind of quality as gold. Uh, anyone that holds Bitcoin, uh, yeah, an investor, or you could call them a saver. Anyone that holds Bitcoin is, uh, is participating in network. There's multiple ways to participate. You can mine for Bitcoin, which is the process of creating new supply of Bitcoin. Right. So I was
0: trying to link you up with my buddy about. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that was interesting. He had a property and it was in an area where, uh, energy was very cheap, very cheap. And he was looking for potentially, um, you know, mining operators to come into the property and build out a mining facility. Yeah, he's getting
0: is, like 600K on that deal, by the way. That's amazing. Reason. That's yeah. amazing. It's pretty yeah. good for
1: him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And mining is, uh, m- you see, mining is a business. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a lot of dynamics to mining. But typically, you know, there's only, there's really two ways to get Bitcoin. You could mine for it or you could just buy it on the market. Uh, you could go to an exchange like Coinbase, which is going to IPO tomorrow. Uh, there's other exchanges that you can use. Uh, and, and buy the Bitcoin. And what you will see is a lot of Bitcoiners, they kind of do the kind of mental, um, you know, the, the kind of risk reward uh, equation on should I invest in the mining equipment and the location and the energy to mine the Bitcoin myself, or is it more, uh, is it a better investment strategy to just buy it? You know, being in Connecticut where energy rates are high, that at the energy that's, gonna, that's required to power the miner. Probably not as good as where, you know, your buddy's located. I think that was in Ohio.
0: Yes. Eversource is probably not ideal for that situation. Exactly,
1: Uh, Where it is ideal are places where obviously energy is cheap. uh, And those places are uh, typically where energy is uh, not close to municipalities, where there's more demand. So what we see right now is a trend where... uh, miners are opening up in areas where there's trapped energy, like natural gas wells in the middle of nowhere. And they'll set up a mining shed right on it and uplink to a satellite and just start mining for
0: Bitcoin. Pretty incredible. Would that would that also be maybe a third world country where it might be cheaper to have energy? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's mining in that area?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if we, if we kind of zoom out and we take a broad view, ultimately, Bitcoin uh, doesn't care where the energy is coming from. Uh, it's going to produce. It requires energy to operate the miners. The miners are what produces the energy. But if we really think big picture here, the trend is towards... Um, uh, for miners to seek out sustainable renewable resources of energy which over time are the cheapest forms of energy Got so it's i i think you know it's a big debate right now in the community um not in the bitcoin community but outside the bitcoin community as to whether you know bitcoin is kind of energy efficient um and uh you know but if you really do the work and you really understand how the economic incentives come into play and the arc of You know, energy production through time. Mm. We're right now on the cusp of moving from, you know, non-sustainable sources to more green sources. And Bitcoin is part of that uh, transition to green sources.
0: Especially with Musk pushing green. I mean, he's a pretty big figurehead.
1: Big time. For yeah, sure. And he supports Bitcoin. He supports Bitcoin. You just put it on the balance sheet. Yeah, that's a big deal. And
0: you could buy his Teslas with it.
1: You could buy his Teslas now with it. Absolutely.
0: But, and I don't want to derail, however, I, I did have a question uh, from that explanation. When you say decentralized, decentralized currency, is that the correct way of saying it? Yeah,
1: you can say decentralized, course
0: When you say decentralized, can you expand on what decentralized means?
1: Absolutely. So no aspect of the network, uh, if it were to be attacked, would affect the uh, network in a catastrophic way. Okay? Um, so if you think of the internet, the internet is decentralized. The internet is an open, permissionless. Mm-hmm. You don't have to ask anyone for permission to get onto the internet. You just get kind of a hookup. And you're able to freely browse the internet as long as no one, you know. Obviously, people in China can't say the same thing, but or for, North Korea, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Totalitarian states don't like free, yeah. open, decentralized. <laughs>
0: what? There's things happening outside of this country.
1: <laughs> so, it, it, if you take that concept where you can openly browse the internet, internet, uh, the internet's really made of switches, routers, uh, uh, servers, highly resilient. They could withstand multiple failures. It's actually The internet was a DARPA project that was developed to uh, ensure that communications can continue if there was a nuclear war. Uh, So it was designed to be decentralized, where there's no single point of failure. So that if nodes on a network go out, uh, data can still route around that kind of a situation. And Bitcoin is no different. Bitcoin is designed to be absolutely resilient. Uh, Not only resilient, you know, and I know you said we're not going to get into politics, but politics is a big deal. um, Because if Bitcoin is seen as a threat... Absolutely needs to be resilient. We too. could
0: totally get into politics. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to articulate that, like, um, p- politics, in, in my opinion, or at least from my limited understanding, might have a lesser play into Bitcoin than, say, other topics that we discuss here. I, I could be wrong.
1: Well, uh, I think if we're going to get really deep into it, we do talk about some, okay. you know, we really talk about values more than politics. You know, values and politics kind of go hand in hand. You know one of the one of the things that makes Bitcoin unique is that it's absolutely scarce um, there's nothing that was ever absolutely scarce before Bitcoin came around right If you think of anything you could always produce more of it right I've struggled to think of anything that is absolutely scarce except for maybe art you know so art is absolutely scarce there's only scarce there's only one Mona Lisa
0: what about um Yes, I'm sorry. Go, continue. Right, yeah. there's only one Mona Lisa. Um, I was going to say, common sense is a bit scarce these days. <laughs> you could argue that. <laughs> you could argue that. So, Mona Lisa, common sense. Yeah, I've got it.
1: Uh, so, and, and what are the two? What are what are what are the kind of downsides to both the Mona Lisa and common sense? <sighs> Scarcity. Is it's not easily transferable. Ah. So it makes for a poor currency. It makes for a poor money.
0: Ah. Right? Okay, okay. So
1: because Bitcoin is very easily transferable, because it's scarce because it's fungible right fungibility is you know we if i if i put up uh, a bunch of different gold bars on a table right and they're all the same weight you know and we all leave you know we all want to get out of here we just grab a gold bar we don't care which one we grab because they're all the same same thing with a dollar bill you know same thing with pencils they're fungible right Mm -hmm. as long as the pencils are the same size right Mm -hmm. so uh fungibility is really important for a money to have it's a it's an important property for money to have the visibility the visibility is also important so bitcoin can be divided into 100 million units right no different than taking a dollar and turning into 100 pennies so the visibility and the the idea that you can break it down into uh subunits is really important for money to have so bitcoin has all those qualities um, so that's what makes it a really superior money and I'm saying money and I'm not saying currency for a reason because those are two separate things, right? Currencies should be designed, like US dollars is an amazing currency because it's super easy, right? Um, you can, you know, it's instantly recognizable. You can spend it freely. It's taken everywhere in the world, right? Uh, it's designed to flow very freely. What it's terrible at is storing value. And it's terrible at, for, store, at, at uh, storing value because it's designed to be inflated over time. So, if you know, everyone knows that like one dollar in the early 1900s could buy you way more than a dollar today. Would that be because of
0: it's not decentralized?
1: It's because it's uh, it's provided by the central bank, the Federal Reserve. Which would be central. central. It's central. Opposed to decentralized. Exactly. It's central, but it all, But the, one step further is that it has a monetary policy that makes it not scarce. So the monetary policy behind it, if you look at what the central bank's mandate is, their mandate is low unemployment, you know, managed interest rates, and they're taking on some new mandates now. Uh, but generally speaking, they're really in charge of keeping unemployment uh, low so that we can, they can promote a strong economy. They promote a strong economy by printing more dollars to give to businesses so that they can invest in workforce. You know, And we should probably get into this, but what we're seeing right now is they're printing more money, and the money is having unintended consequences, which is leading people to seek out investments. It's not just Bitcoin that people are seeking out. They're buying homes. They're buying luxury watches. Buying cars. They're buying co- collectible cars, collectible sports memorabilia. So it's all this general trend, and you can argue, okay, is it, be, is, it, is it the fear of inflation that's making people buy these assets and driving up those prices? Or availability. Or is, or is it becoming more scarce because of, you know because people are buying more of them? Yeah, or the supply chain issue. Exactly, exactly. You, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And that's actually what the Federal <coughs> Reserve would argue is the reason why prices are increasing right now. If you listen to what Jerome Powell said on 60 Minutes on Sunday— he said, uh, you know, just the, the economy's opening back up. There is some uh, bottlenecks in the system. There's some supply issues. Uh, but th- there's also, you know, the counter argument, and there's evidence to suggest that, you know, we are seeing the beginning of uh, inflation. Uh, 30% or 30 or 40% of all dollars in existence was printed last year, you know, for very good reason. But uh, uh, again, you know, just the nature of, you know, anything that people hold uh that you know let's say today you know if tomorrow the supply increases tremendously without a corresponding increase in demand it just means that the value of that will come down it's just that's just simple economics
0: and i think and correct me if i'm wrong what you're discussing is what the general public is starting to see or understand well before the The general public sees it on the news and starts to understand this concept of inflation and what's happening and 30% of the dollar has been printed in 2020 or 2021 is basically what you're saying. Uh, The... Individuals, and uh, you can't really say individuals, it's not just the Rothschild family, okay? The centralized bank is a component of, what, 170 banks or something along those
1: lines? Central bank, is, there's one central bank in the United States, it's the Federal Reserve, but you also have other central banks, Bank co- of Japan, ECB.
0: Co- how many banks make up the Federal Reserve,
1: though? There's 12, uh, they call them uh, like kind of like regional banks. Okay. so And you see, when you look at your dollar and you see that, um, you know, I, I think... B might be for New York. That's a New York federal... Or F is for New York. And A, they all correspond to different... And what those banks are responsible for is collecting economic data within their jurisdiction that informs the policies for central banks.
0: So I could could be not articulating it in proper terms. However, there's those 12 banks that make up the Federal Reserve. However, there's subsidiaries of those banks, maybe smaller banks. Yes, member banks. So I think the number is like 170 or something along those lines. I could be wrong. But the point is... The decision makers of the Federal Reserve that have been behind these decisions know the long-term effect and forecast and project how the inflation will look in 30 years, which which many people don't know. Uh, a lot happens within a generation. Okay, A generation, for instance, my generation as a millennial, you're technically an Xer, right?
1: Uh, I would say, um, actually there's a new name for a zennial, So we're between yes, X and... I'm and a Zenial. Yeah. You're a zennial. 1979. Yeah.
0: So it's, I think it's, I think it's 75 to 85 is a zennial. However, I refer to myself as a millennial because I think it's funny because I'm totally not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what year were you born? 85.
1: 85. Oh, you're, uh, yeah, you're... Uh, so, I'm right on the cusp. Yeah. Oh, so what is, what is the millennial, the millennial
0: start after 85? There's, there's contradicting reports. It's 80 to, whatever, 99 or something along those lines for the millennial. But now that there's the zillennial, which right. is 75 to 85, I also fall into that. That's so funny. Okay. You're so, like a senior millennial. Yeah, I'm like the top of the millennials. All right. So, but anyways, uh, the, the, the point is countries and huge decisions are made on the 30-year context of... Within this generation, this is what's going to happen. So, for instance, Powell's kids, your kids, maybe the viewer's kids that are, say, under 10 years old, are going to back this inflation for the rest of their lives. Their generation, our generation, we're going to, we're just, most people in our generations are just understanding this concept don't realize that we're going to watch what plays out over the next 30 years. The, and, and, and I know I'm kind of digressing, but the point that I'm getting at is the decision makers, not just the Rothschilds in that family, but the decision makers of the Federal Reserve knew what is going to happen, know what's going to happen, and forecasted that over the next 20 to 50 years, per se. And everyone's just understanding what's happening right now. Do you see what I'm getting at?
1: Uh, I would argue that... Uh there's definitely a rising of consciousness that's happening now, uh, but I would argue that that's been happening since probably 2008. Um, you, know, you saw Occupy Wall Street, you saw a Tea Party, um, you, know, you saw a rise of consciousness around just money printing, right? Because what got us out of the 2008 crisis was an incredible amount of money printing to bail out the banks that were responsible for you know, poor risk management controls that put us into that crisis. Yes. Right. Uh, and, and look, Bitcoin was created in 2009. Right. Um, I would say, and I think most people that really understand Bitcoin would say it was a political statement. Uh, if you look at the Genesis block, which is the first block mined in Bitcoin, in there is the headline from the Financial Times of the day. And it, the, the headline was Chancellor on the Brink of Second Bailout for Banks. I, I think, you know, if we were... You know, if you're a true kind of like an Austrian economic kind of thinker and, you know, you believe in sound money and you you, know, you may say, okay, the first bailout was probably needed because if we didn't have a bailout, I mean, the, the situation was dire. Yeah.
0: yeah and I'm know, not you I'm can, not the fact. can't let the banks collapse. You can't let
1: the banks collapse. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the other side of that looks like. Um. You know, with the second bailout, okay, so maybe now we're starting a trend, and that trend could be dangerous for society. So I, uh, I'm i I'm one of, I'm in, of the camp that believe that Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, who... I
0: remember you telling me about him.
1: Yeah, so he is... Japanese? He, she, uh, it could be a team, could be a group of people, we don't know. Um, definitely anonymous. Um, just use the name. Doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, they're Japanese. If you look at their writings... Uh, their, his writing uh, or her writings are, uh, you know, tend to use like English spelling, color C-O-L-O-U-R, mm. you know. So you see some examples of that. Thought traditional of it, English. Could be trying to throw people off. We don't really know. Um, yeah, traditional kind of UK English. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, they included that statement in the Genesis block to, I believe you know, explain why they created uh Bitcoin. You know, and Bitcoin is like their disclaimer. It yeah, I think it's a it's a political statement to say, hey, you know, chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. Um, you know, instead of trusting and putting your, you know, faith and your hope into central back central bank backed currencies, which we call fiat currencies, uh, you know, here is something that is an alternative to that. It's a non-sovereign uh, it's a non-sovereign, peer-to-peer, decentralized uh, digital asset that is able to effectively, you know, take control, take a level of control away. Uh, you know, that's that is definitely a political statement. Take a level of control away from central banking, and you know, uh, and it's so far successful, right? I mean, you do see it from the from the beginning and. You know, it goes without saying the difficulty of creating a project like that, that is successful under optimal conditions, because it's very easy to have a figurehead, right, for a, you know, people when they think of, you know, people make the mistake of, you know, is Bitcoin a company? Is it a stock? Do I, you know, do I am I buying into it? Who runs it? Right. There's can none I, of that. Can I
0: buy it on my TD Ameritrade. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and, and look, I think gold is a great analogy, because if you think about gold, who's the CEO of gold? Nobody, right? Gold has been used for 5,000 years by humanity. It's, you know, humans have just tried to figure out what is the best thing that can hold my value, my labor, my, you know, whatever I worked hard for over space and over time. And humanity, through a natural process, triangulated onto gold. And I think we're seeing that now with Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I think. Gold is, is considered the first global currency to a degree, right? In the sense that everybody recognized it. Absolutely. Like, I don't know about 5,000 years ago, but at least 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, even before, quote unquote, Christ. But And now you're saying that Bitcoin is kind of the newer aspect of a global currency? I think big, uh, gold is
1: always going to have a place as a, um, as a, a store of value for certain types of people in the physical world, people that don't necessarily live in the digital world. But, you know, you know as well as I do, the trends are that we're, you know, it's not like people are saying, you know, I'm not gonna use the internet anymore and I'm not gonna, you know, everything's going online. Everything is, you know, cyber.
0: Well, I also think the government is the reason why Facebook is doing what they're doing when it comes to privacy terms, when in reality, Facebook's not a private company, it's it's public. However, it's a private organization and can do whatever the fuck they want with, their, with your information.
1: Right. And Facebook, uh, you know, if the government deems at any point in time that Facebook or Twitter uh, is so powerful that they need to do something about it, uh, you know, you can't do it with Bitcoin because it's decentralized. You can't ban Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't be banned. Um, just like gold really can't be banned. So the, the parallels between gold and Bitcoin are, uh, are apparent, and you can always use analogies between gold and Bitcoin, even mining dynamics. Uh, hmm. Gold is just a physical form of something that's scarce, and Bitcoin is a physical form of something that's even more scarce. Tangible
0: and intangible.
1: Uh, I'm sorry. Bitcoin is a virtual form of something that's more scarce. Mm-hmm. It exists online.
0: Yeah.
1: And it is very tangible. Is so it- absolutely, it's very tangible. When I have my Bitcoin and I secure my Bitcoin with a private key, it's my Bitcoin. I'm securing it with a private key. It's my Bitcoin. I know it's there. Actually, I would say it's the most tangible thing ever because it, can it's you backed by it? math. I can give you something called, yeah, there, there's um a USB device called a, uh, it's made by a company called CoinKite. Uh, you put, you can put Bitcoin on there. If I put one Bitcoin on there and I give it to you, you can plug it into your computer. You can verify that it has one Bitcoin. You can spend it from there if you want. If you kind of, you know, pop a tab, you can spend it from there. Um but it's instantly verifiable, that USB stick becomes a bearer instrument, like no different than an ounce of gold. The value is on that stick. I see. That's a physical form. That's considered tangible. Very dangerous, because if you lose that, you're done. You lost your Bitcoin. Oh. Right? So the better way to do it is to have something called a hardware wallet, and there's a whole security framework around that that you know, I'm absolutely going to show you and spend time. You know.
0: And before we get into security of Bitcoin which we are going to discuss, I think we should discuss what um, what the definition of money, if we're done with what a Bitcoin is. Sure. Are we done with what a Bitcoin is? Or we're always going to come back to it. Okay, good. So, so yeah, because like I'm still trying to understand everything. And so people listening might understand it. However, I'm learning right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like information overload. I thought Bitcoin was intangible because... It's, it's in the cloud. However, you're telling me it's not.
1: Bitcoin is... Um, so my definition of tangible is something that I can interact with. It um, okay. doesn't necessarily need to be in a physical form. Uh, I can put it into a physical form if I wanted to. Uh, it has some security risks. But uh, did that, let's talk about the definition of money. So the definition of money... My definition of money is something that holds value over time and space really well, right? And depending on where you are in the world, you might have different definitions, different perspectives. Uh, you know, one probably extreme example is if you're in jail, you know, money becomes, you know, how many movies you watch where they're trading cigarettes as money. Mm-hmm. Because that's the currency within a prison system uh, in some cases. Uh in latin america right in you know i don't know if you can tell us paola but in colombia uh you know people add additions to their homes yes uh and they add those additions to their homes because they want to pass it down to the next generation it's a way for them to take their wealth hire some labor get some materials put an addition on their home and then their home becomes more valuable and it can't be seized that's why they do it because there's been a lot of through the years a lot of situations political situations where wealth has been seized and so they've uh, acclimated to that, and they've worked around that by you know adding to their home. So they're putting their money in their home, and that's their way of transferring value from you know between individuals. If they could sell their house at one day, you know, problem with having a house as money is it takes forty five days to go into it, forty five th- days to go out of it. You got to pay you know a lawyer, you got to pay for all these things. So it's a terrible form of money. But not to mentioned tax taxes, yeah. absolutely. Which is you know you're always going to pay taxes. That's you know. When uh, Uncle Sam or Uncle Samuel, what's his, what's uh, a <laughs> when, when they come knocking. <laughs> what are, yeah, what do they call it, Paula? El
0: Presidente.
1: Is that what it is? El Presidente? The president. I was imagine it was something like Mr. Nino or something like that, no? <laughs> no. Okay. Mr. Nino. No. You know, in North Korea, what's the money there? Bags of rice. Mm -hmm. right um so it's very interesting we are very lucky 13 percent of the the world population live in liberal democracies where property rights are respected so in my and as part of my work i used to travel around the world and i would meet different people and i would talk to them about their experience and if the topic of money ever came up it was very interesting to understand how their culture viewed money Because really, how cultures view money is an outcrop from their experience, their shared experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you think of global, you know, gold was popular in Western Europe. Uh, You know, gold, the probably golden age for gold was, uh, you know, during the Dutch uh, golden age, you know, 17th century. Um, And you have a society that was backed by gold, it was on the gold standard. You had societies that were backed by gold all the way up until the early 20th century. Uh, Actually, I'm sorry. It was still backed by gold in 1913 when the Federal Reserve Bank was created. But over time, in 1971, Richard Nixon uh, made the decision, informed decision from his economic advisors to remove the U.S. dollar from the gold uh, standard. And when the U.S. dollar was no longer backed by gold... It, it turned into the situation where we see today where they can make more U.S. dollars to, you know, the reason why they do it is ultimately because when you take debt, if you're a company that takes debt, right, and you have a debt load that needs to be paid off, you have to pay back the nominal amount on that debt. If you, like my, my father bought a house in 1980, he paid Like, round number, $100,000. I was going to say $70,000, yeah. Now it's worth a lot more, right? Uh, At the end of his 30-year mortgage term, he was paying $300 a month because the value of the dollar had debased that much. So he was able to afford to continue paying off his debt because he had the help from the Federal Reserve because they were debasing the currency that he was paying back in. So... USD is a terrible form of money, amazing currency. It's a terrible form of money because it doesn't hold value over time. So people that hold their wealth. I mean, I grew up, you know, in an era, you know, in the nineteen eighties where my parents were still giving some great advice. Put your money in the bank, save the money, get the interest off of it. The interest back then, at one point it peaked to like twenty percent.
0: You know there was twenty percent returns on the there, savings account? there was
1: twenty. I, I need to go back and look. But there were definitely 20% mortgages at some oh, point yeah. in the 1980s. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, but I think, I remember the, my first knowledge was like 96 when I had a savings account. Uh, and it was, I believe, 8% in 96. Wow. So I would, if, forever, if I had $100 in a bank uh, at the end of the year, I, uh, I'd have $108. Right. And I remember the first time I asked my mom, I said, how come they're giving me money? What's up with that? And she was like, oh yeah, that's interest. And I was like, wait a second, interest. So I, yeah, you know, that's my first, you know, my first kind of yeah. understanding of right. you know how kind of-
0: Interest in your favor. Very interesting,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's where it was. Now, you know, today, what is it down to? Right, uh, zero, three. You have $100 in your bank account by the end of the year, they're probably, if they're not taking the fees, you know, if, they're, if it's not gone because, you know, it's below whatever the standard, you know, minimum amount is, then you're probably getting a dollar, eighty cents, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Crazy, exactly. So early on, it piqued your interest on leveraging, leveraging money, in, yeah. some, in some way, yeah, interest, absolutely. compounding interest, even if it's annual, yeah,
1: absolutely. Taught me about, taught me that you you can have uh, an asset that that gets yield, and uh, you know, obviously, the U.S. dollar, you know, became a terrible place for yield over the years. Uh, but the concept is very important. And uh, so, you know, compare that to Bitcoin, right? So if, we, if, we, if, if you were to buy Bitcoin today, okay, you're buying a, a, a deflationary asset, okay? That's an asset that is designed to get harder and harder over time, okay? Um, so it deflates over time. So if you denominate yourself in Bitcoin, prices aren't going up, they're going down, right? One Bitcoin... In 2013, when it was 200 bucks, could, you know, fill up your shopping cart with some, you know, everything you need for the week, maybe two weeks, right? Sure. How much is one Bitcoin going to buy you today when it's was it 64 grand? 63,000 this morning. Yeah, could buy you like probably buy your Model Three Tesla. Could buy
0: you a Tesla? Yeah, definitely.
1: It could buy you some. Real, you know, you could buy your food for a very long time. Buy a down payment on a $300,000 house. Absolutely. And the thing that people need to realize is that this will never stop. I mean, that's the key. Uh, will you see it go into bear markets? Potentially, you know, but is it designed to continue to do this over time? Absolutely. When you're comparing it to the U.S. dollar, if you're comparing it to other assets, right, it's still going to beat all the other assets. I mean, it has. It's the fastest horse. Bitcoin is the best investment. Two hundred percent CAGR, CAGR compound annual growth rate. That's two hundred percent every year, yeah. year over year. Right. Uh, and we're going to continue to see. We're probably not going to see two hundred percent every you know year, but it, it should decline. But uh, it's something that is actually literally engineered to take over the monetary
0: system. When you say clearly, we're going to go into a bear market, but when you say that, specifically with Bitcoin, what do you mean by, we'll see Bitcoin going into a bear market? So we have,
1: uh, in, in Bitcoin, there's, um, I need to talk a little bit about something called the block reward. Okay. Okay. And this has to do with mining. So if you're a miner, you're setting up a computer, and I'm just going to make it very simple. That computer is... Uh, solving cryptographic problems, and in exchange for solving those cryptographic problems, it's securing a network, securing the transactions, and the reward is the Bitcoin network would give you some Bitcoin. Okay, so in the first four years of Bitcoin, it would give you for every block, you know, you hear the term blockchain, very simple. The Bitcoin blockchain is just a series of blocks. We're, we're up to 670,000 blocks, some odd. Since that first Genesis block. Wow. Over, you know, since 2009. Um, each block that's mined gets a reward from the Bitcoin network. In the first four years, that reward was 50 Bitcoins. I
0: remember you were telling me about this at dinner.
1: Yeah. And then in 2012, there was something called a halving. Okay. And this is something that happens every four years. In 2012, the block reward went from 50 to 25. Okay. And what, what happens when that happens is... There's less supply that gets you know, created into existence by the miners. As a result of less supply, all you need is the demand to stay the same or even increase a little bit, right? But if, if it just stays the same, yep. as long as it doesn't go down, if the demand is just constant, then what's going to happen to the price? It's going go to go up, obviously. It's going to continue to go up. Because the supply just got hardened. Right. Um, 2016, another halving. This time, twenty-five. Right, cut that in half. What do you have? Twelve point
0: five.
1: May twenty twenty. So last year, twenty twenty, we had our last halving, and the new block reward is six point two five. And in twenty twenty four, it's going to be three point one two five. And in so twenty twenty eight, it's, it's going to keep going and can keep going up until the year two thousand one hundred and forty. Up. It's going to keep going down, down correct. the block reward. So more by blocks, other way, I'm thinking about this, yeah, conceptually thinking about this, okay. Bitcoin is going to get harder and harder and harder and harder to, uh, to uh, it's going to get harder and sounder as money. It's going to get hardened as money. It's going to be more, it's going to be more attractive as money over time. It's, I believe in the next halving, it becomes more scarce than gold from purely a stock to flow perspective. Yeah. Right, um, and I'll talk about stock to flow and what that means. Uh, but because it gets harder and harder over time, you know, price naturally goes up. And so, yeah, do we have a bear market? It does it go down? Yeah, but if you look at the bear markets, the price never goes down below the previous, like the all time high of the previous cycle. So, even like when we're talking about this cycle right now, price is at 60,000. If it runs up over, you know, people are talking about, well, it's, I think def- 100,000 easy, you know, if it goes up to 200, 300,000, when it comes back down, it's probably not even going to come back down to 60,000. It's probably going to come back down to 90,000. There's also a view now that we're entering a new wave of adoption and consciousness about Bitcoin. And there's been so many people that looked at it between 2017 and 2020 that are now saying, okay, now that we, you know, now that, now that we overtook, Bitcoin overtook the all-time high, of the previous cycle that happened in December 2020, when the price went above 20,000, right? That was a high water mark from 2017. So we had a bear market from 2017 up until, you know, like kind of like December 2020.
0: Right.
1: A lot of people that were against Bitcoin didn't understand or said how could it be? You know, they they saw that happen, and now they see the price at 60,000, and they're saying, you know what? I was wrong. I was actually wrong. I didn't think about it the right way. I'm educating myself now, and they're getting into it. And so that's. It's what happens with Bitcoin, is you, um, you understand it. You maybe you hold a little bit. You see the value go up. You want to understand a little more. It strengthens your conviction. You naturally want to tell all your friends about it. And that's how adoption happens, mm-hmm. you know, just like when you got your first iPhone and you know, or any cool technology, and you tell everybody about it. And, and so we're seeing that this wave of adoption is so big that in and, and the financial institutions, I mean, everyone, uh, literally, I mean... If you look at a lot of job postings right now, a lot of financial companies won't hire you unless you have some level of crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin experience. Hmm. Uh, Time magazine put out an ad for a CFO saying you got to be Bitcoin friendly. You got to understand Bitcoin. And they just announced that they're putting Bitcoin, they're buying Bitcoin. That happened just like this morning. So, um, you know, and then what happens when that happens? You have financialization of the asset. You have services. You can use Bitcoin as collateral and take loans on it. And because now you can use Bitcoin as collateral and take loans on it, or you can put Bitcoin in an account and gain interest on it, then do you really need to sell it?
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you don't have to sell it, is there gonna be another bear market? We don't know. So there's, there's this idea that maybe we're entering a new realm, a new phase for Bitcoin, where we're not gonna have a bear market, we're gonna have what's, you know, it's, it's quote unquote being called the super cycle, where Bitcoin elevates itself to a new plane of existence, like a new phase, a new, kind of like when ice turns into water, it turns into gas, like a new phase transition. That'll be very interesting to see. Will it play itself out? You know, that's what makes Bitcoin exciting. Is uh, you know looking at the trends and following it, and you know, but to a certain degree, you also got to feel like you know when you talk about the chain analytics and you you bring in a narrative and you see what the U.S. dollar is doing, you kind of get the sense that you're kind of on a highway and these are all like the road signs are just passing by because everything that you expect to happen in adoption is actually happening. And so that, that just strengthens, you know, Bitcoiners, uh, conviction in it as an investment asset.
0: Wow. So, all right, let me unpack this a little bit. Um, you're basically talking about the life cycle of Bitcoin in a very layman's terms since, since its existence of 2009, if I'm not mistaken, post the last economic recession. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Which it sounds like it kind of was left the door open for to kind of come into being, and with that said, I know you told me, I think a couple times now that you didn't get in in two thousand and nine. However, because of your background, you, uh, in in, in, which I'll let you explain, because of your background in working and so on and so forth, you were aware of it, Bitcoin. And If I remember correctly, you told me that you didn't actually get involved with Bitcoin on the investment aspect of things until two thousand and thirteen. Correct. So, for someone who might be aware of what Bitcoin is, say today, and is interested in buying Bitcoin, and maybe they think it's too late, you know, because it's sixty what three thousand dollars? Sixty three thousand. Yeah, yeah sixty three thousand. When you found Bitcoin, I'm trying to compare it, right? Yeah. When you found Bitcoin, it was how much? Less than a hundred. Thirty-four dollars. Thirty-four dollars, and you bought in at over
1: five hundred. I kept on buying. Yeah. So I My first Bitcoin was thirty-four dollars in 2013. Oh, it was thirty. Yeah, 2011 is when I first heard of it, okay. but I kind of almost instantly kind of dismissed it because I didn't know what I didn't really know what it was. I didn't. I thought it was actually something like funny money for certain websites on the internet where like the Silk Road, which was probably, you know, unfortunately, a major use case for Bitcoin, an illicit kind of uh marketplace. Um so I thought it was kind of like the equivalent of if you go into an arcade and you get their funny money and right. you can only use it in the arcade. I didn't really you know, there wasn't a lot of content. There wasn't a lot of a lot of education. Um so I just heard of it. I looked at it real quick. I was just like, oh that's pretty cool. That's interesting. I didn't realize it was like the soundest, hardest money at that time, by, for sure. But then in 2013, I, um, I, uh, I bought some. Uh, I needed some. I was, I was buying services in uh, the Netherlands, um, like server services. And their preferred method of payment was Bitcoin. So I said, okay, let me go get some Bitcoin. And uh, I paid off the invoice, and I had some change left over, some Bitcoin change left over. And then, a couple, and then I forgot about it. And then a couple of months later, I went back into that account for some reason. I don't remember why. And I saw that the U.S. dollar value of that Bitcoin, like, doubled. And I said to myself, what's going on here? You mean to tell me that, like, I had, like, illustratively, let's say $200, you know, equivalent back in, you know, March. And now it's worth 400? dollars I got to understand, you know, what this is. So that's when I really started, you know, I read the Bitcoin white paper, which is Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. Um, I also had, you know, this understanding of money from just my own kind of curiosity. So I I researched it. Um, I read a book, a great book about the Federal Reserve called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Um, You know, I've always just been interested in economics. Um, I was working in... Uh, the f- uh, fintech. So I was already in the financial world at that time. My background is engineering, uh, technology. Uh, from a very early age, I've been, um, you know, working with technology, uh, and you know, later on, obviously more formally in my career. So I was kind of predisposed with understanding, you know, decentralized concepts of decentralized. We we have these kind of uh, problems of distributed computing power in the industry that I'm, that I, I'm in. And, uh, you know, these are real problems that we have to deal with. And I was, so I had that kind of mindset when I looked at Bitcoin and I realized that it was, you know, really. I actually realized back then that it was an institutional grade asset. And now institutions in 2021 are realizing the same, which is pretty kind of cool. Right. I mean, um, you know, you can't really there's not a lot of assets. There's not. I, I can't. I've tried. I, I can't think of any opportunity where normal people had an opportunity to buy into the asset before Wall Street did, you know, and like kind of corner like there's no commodity you could think of, nothing really fits that bill. Bitcoin is, and this is, that's the other nice thing about Bitcoin today is that you can still buy it, you know, you know that the banks are getting into it. We see every day new headlines of, you know, Goldman Sachs is doing this, Deutsche Bank is doing that. They're all poisoning themselves right now, they're all positioning themselves to, really get into the space they're gonna buy the bit they are they are buying the bitcoin if you look at the the amount of bitcoin that's on the exchanges from this year compared to last year it's like it's, it's just a it's a sharp sharp decrease so I, I think we're in the final kind of days of um you can always buy bitcoin it's always going to go up but i think at the price that it's, it's a steal right now it's an incredible steal and we're, we're going to follow up in a couple of months and, you know, you'll be able to kind of put me to task on these statements, which I'm looking forward to. After. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and I think
0: time yields all answers. Right. So th- that being said, you found Bitcoin in 13. Uh, you invested in it just out of basically necessity at that point. Right. The company in Norway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, well, no, so yeah, I, I bought, that's how I was, uh, I, I was forced to kind of buy it, because right. I had to pay them Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, uh, but I didn't invest, I didn't invest until I did the education, and I think that's a key kind of point to make, right?
0: Well, I'm sure you probably caught a flag, and not, not in this case, not a red flag, <laughs> right, right, a green flag, yes, you're like, holy shit, my 200 is now 400 in the period of X amount of months, So is that where your education began?
1: That's where my education began, and the most important thing was securing it because um, it's very something that resides on your computer, something that resides on the Internet, could be hacked, could be stolen. I have 100% faith in Bitcoin as a protocol, that it can't be hacked, but I don't have faith in myself that I'm going to be able to protect my own Bitcoin. So I had to really kind of create a security policy for my person, for my being, so that when I was buying the Bitcoin, I could make sure that nobody would be able to kind of do anything to me to get me to get my Bitcoin from me. So I focused a lot of education there. I focused education on, you know, is this the, what could go wrong? Like what, back then there were no other altcoins, right? Bitcoin is the immaculate conception of the blockchain. Everything you see after that is a copy. You know, they, in some cases they control C, control V and created your own coin. You know, Ethereum is unique. It's called proof of stake. It's a different kind of algorithm. But I was there when when it was just Bitcoin. And you know, there's been times where you wonder, is this going to be something that is going to ultimately succeed, or is it? You know, am I? You know, you doubt yourself, right? And which is healthy. You always have to kind of doubt your intuitions and your you know the inferences that you're making. But yeah, I mean, um, the doubt is what really forced me to you know, educate, uh, that, that was a fire because ultimately any doubt is, it needs to be dispositioned in either a positive way or a negative way. And, you know, if if there's doubts in a negative way, that's risk. And you know, that, that would inform my kind of investment strategy.
0: So exactly. So since 2013 of your first initial flag to fast forward to eight years, you've been able to, you could retire fully if you wanted to. However you don't want to. No. But you were able to retire yourself from corporate salaried work to come into your own business to teach others.
1: Yeah, I had an amazing career. Uh, I've I I traveled around the world. I um I supported the biggest banks, the uh, biggest financial institutions in the world and what I did in my previous role. Uh, I had a team, global team of eighty-five people, amazing people, really talented professionals. Uh, it is my dream. It was my dream career, yeah. and I stepped away from that because, you know, I, I could, uh, and I, I feel like um, what attracted me to what I was doing. It was very much we were selling peer-to-peer technology to uh, financial institutions, uh, and I loved the. The hu- so it's telephones, it's communications, it's how traders communicate with one another. And I was originally attracted to voice communications telephony, voice over IP, because it was the first uh, peer-to-peer interaction of the human voice. And just, I'm going back to like 2003, when voice really started to become packetized. And I built a career on that. Um... And you know, found Bitcoin and Bitcoin is like an elevation of that because it's the peer-to-peer transaction of value between people. And I think that's profound. The idea that we, for the first time in human history, have the ability to transfer value to one another without any counterparty being involved in that transaction over incredibly long distances. You can't do that with anything else. You can send a wire to another part of the world, but you gotta go through your bank, you gotta go through a third party. And if I get it, you could do this on the internet and program it means that the it's limitless, the opportunity here. And it's it's just the the only other time we've ever seen anything like that was the creation of the internet. We're just purely limitless. And we see what that's led us to. So uh, I mean it's very attractive. And I think 2021, 2020, post-COVID, you know, it just made a lot of sense for me to, you know, really invest my time and energy. At the end of the day, you realize that you're You know, your number one asset is time, you know, and where am I going to focus my time? And it just made all all the markers were there. It made a lot of sense for me to kind of, you know, and and the idea that I could help people and I was helping people and I still do. Um, So I have, I've, even when I was working, I had some clients, I had people at my job that are probably going to retire. They're not going to be very happy with me at my previous company because there's a couple of people that I've been helping with um, Bitcoin that are probably going to have, they're going to retire early because they you know they, they they educated themselves they got them at the right time, and the gratefulness that came back to me that energy isn't it the best it was yeah you can't uh, you can't put a dollar on that I
0: was having a, this discussion last night. Uh, with one of my friends about the gratitude that comes from watching people grow become like, yeah. grow and fulfill themselves yeah. yeah it's there's you can't put a you honestly can't put it's the most meaningful meaningful thing know, is. like of course if someone was like well I'll give you five bitcoins for it I'd be like yeah sure however that feeling right is 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 incomparable when it comes to money no question because there's no money that matters it's yeah. that it's that fulfilling feeling and that's because you're a teacher and being a teacher I understand that Right. And what I was and that explanation that you discussed when it came to your career, I think, is excellent. But what I'm trying to forecast is you invested in 2013. Here we are in 2021. Now you without we don't have to put the numerical values on the the gain or the profit. However, I'm trying to forecast that you have invested on, on your own to get yourself to the point to where you can leave your job right? So whether, you know, whether you're comfortable saying or not, it sounds like it's in the realm of maybe seven to nine figure, excuse me, seven to eight figures of ability that you created so you can do this on your own.
1: Well, you also have to make sure that, you know, you can withstand the unknowns. So yeah, I mean, you know, you got to kind of forecast your, you know, what your lifestyle, what kind of life you want to provide for your family and make, you know, the right kind of determination. And yeah, I was able to do that. And that's huge. I mean, You know, but anybody could do it, really. Um, You know, what I advise my clients that want to do the same thing is just a couple of best practices. Um, You know, I used to actually say before, I want to say before the last halving, I said, don't put in any more money than you can afford to lose. I don't say that anymore. I say now, think of it like a very high-tech superior savings account. What you would have put into savings, instead of putting that in your bank account, Just buy Bitcoin with it. And what's nice about that, if you incorporate a what's called the DCA strategy, which stands for dollar cost averaging, you're able to ride up and down. As Bitcoin goes up and down, you're able to over time, you know, convert into Bitcoin. And it just it's a it's a way of managing the volatility of Bitcoin. Uh, You know, and when we talk about the it's not the volatility of Bitcoin per se, it's the volatility of the pair. Between USD and Bitcoin, one day Bitcoin is going to be very, you know, uh, low volatility because it's going to have a lot more liquidity. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be more widely adopted. But until then, I mean, if you're, if you see that the price drops and you're, like, did I make the right decision? Did I make the wrong decision? Probably because you're, you know, you're probably too heavily invested. and You take some money off the table so you can go to sleep at night. Um, yeah, but if it's just if people think about it as a savings account, I think it. What happens then? They buy a little bit. And uh, just like I said, right, you buy a little bit, you see it go up, maybe you see it go down, don't sell it, educate yourself, understand it, see it go up, you know, get more conviction, do some more education. Well, this is a long-term hold. It's a absolute yeah, and that's key. This is
0: not, this is not, this is not a get-rich-quick
1: scheme Right no. by any means.
0: Well, for, first things first, let's just, let's just debunk that, okay? Let's debunk that. I grew up poor. It sounds like you grew up uh, humbly as well. Yep, absolutely. Uh, To to, to create wealth, or if you want to use the terms rich, which I don't really care for, however, that's just my opinion, it's a long-term game. 100%. It's a long-term game. There are quick ways of doing it. However, if you're not in it for the long term, okay, you're not going to be aligned to understanding how to manage that. Okay, there's a statistic out there, and I don't know the actual number. However, the majority of people that win the lotto are back to exactly where they were within five years because they're not aligned to being wealthy or understand money. So Bitcoin is a long-term hold. Absolutely. But I think the biggest question is, uh, and I think we agree upon that, becoming wealthy takes time. Low-time preference is absolutely key. No question about it
1: you know uh easy come easy go as they say right um those lottery winners easy come easy go if you don't build the muscle to lift that big weight you know i'm using a gym reference right yeah hurt yourself yeah uh so absolutely you're spot on
0: all right so omar you have at 41 years old financially made enough money which sounds like to be an incredible amount able to announce your retirement uh to focus on not only your family but educating others on how they too can become financially free through bitcoin yeah so in in we're talking about investments in the sense of you know putting away x amount of dollars a month in an, in in an investment portfolio or in a savings account or something along those lines my biggest question to you is let's say that I don't have sixty three thousand dollars to, sixty three thousand dollars to buy a complete Bitcoin. Okay, uh, are there any options for like a guy like me? Let's say my monthly savings budget is maybe I allocate $1,000 a month to put into savings or I put 20% of my net income into savings. Let's say it's $1,000 for investments and I just dump it into my Ameritrade and I throw shit against the wall and see where it sticks. Um, can a guy like me that only has $1,000 a month uh, for investments because that's my budget, can I get into Bitcoin buying on a monthly basis
1: yeah absolutely and this is where you know the parallel to gold comes into um you know it's apparent because uh look gold we could talk about gold ounces. we could talk about gold as gold bars what's one gold bar last time i looked it up it was four five hundred hundred thousand. Oh, one
0: gold bar one okay. massive okay. gold okay. bar okay. Right? not not yeah not a, not a whatever the other one is
1: so if people look at that gold bar yeah. how can i ever afford one right but you could buy an ounce for, you know, 1200 whatever 1800 what is it 1500 yeah, now I thought it was 15, whatever it is yeah. same concept right? right so you could buy satoshis so what is a satoshi remember i said before one bitcoin has 100 million units yeah each one of those units is called a satoshi but you know just to make it very simple you got $1000 a month the question you want to ask yourself is do you want to do one buy every month do you want to do four buys of $250 each week The more granular you get, the more buys you're doing, the more you're going to take advantage of the um, dollar cost averaging effect of smoothing out your investment over time. So um, that's what I would kind of recommend. Um, But yeah, you can buy those Satoshis. And um, pretty much every exchange now allows you to do what's called a recurring buy. So you can just go on there, set up your, your bank account, link your bank account to the exchange, uh, create a recurring buy in your case let's say you were going to go in there and say you want it to be weekly you would select weekly in some cases you could do daily so you could select weekly you could do monthly uh, and then you would say 250 per week and you'll get a text notification every time you know you uh, there's a, a buy that occurs and you'll go in there and you'll see it will show you that you know the price of the day you know uh, how much of that how, how many Satoshis you bought uh, at that price point of that day and you don't even need $1000 you can do it with i mean some exchanges allow you to do it with um, like a minimum transaction of $10 so for bitcoin uh $10 and you get you know
0: the equivalent amount of satoshis a Piece of satoshi Sh- yeah so you could or, theoretically you can invest in bitcoin with as little as $10 yeah and right now
1: $1 i want to say $1 gets you 1900 or 1 or 1800 satoshis so, you know, over time, I remember $1 got you way more than that, right? Right. Uh, so over time, those Satoshis become more valuable. And if you keep these on your account, you'll see the value going up over time or going down over time if there's a correction. Um, you know, usually it's a correction. But if you zoom out, there's a, there's a, there's a graphic, there's a, um, there's a graph uh, of Bitcoin historical, you know, performance. And there's a measure called the 200 SMA, and it stands for the 200 stochastic Moving Average. And all it means, it sounds fancy, all it means is that they took the price of Bitcoin over a 200-week period, and they plotted it. So if you're zooming out that much, yeah. 200 weeks is like four years. Sure. If you're zooming out that much, no one ever held Bitcoin for more than three and a half years and lost money. If you bought at the top of the cycle in 2017 and you held it three and a half years later, or three years later, to December 2020,
0: you were in the green. So theoretically, and I don't mean to interrupt, A lot of people might think it's it's topped out now, which you're saying it's not, because it's even though it's heavy at $63,000, which is probably a, a large amount of money to most people, right, in America, because you know 70, 70, 80 percent of, of Americans don't even have $500 in their savings account. But anyways, the point is. If theoretically you're saying, if I bought in right now, three to four years from now, it will be more.
1: Yeah, let's say you bought in. I'm going to use rounder numbers. Sure. Okay, so let's say you bought in and the price was 50000 and you say, you know what? Too expensive. But I'm going to buy anyway. Let's say you buy a tenth of that. Right. Let's say you buy $5,000. So the price of a Bitcoin is $5,000. You buy a tenth for 5000 right? If the price of Bitcoin becomes five hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin. One tenth of that is going to be fifty thousand dollars. You know, and people that have invested long enough see this effect, and it's not an effect, obviously. It's just you know, it's like it's like slicing a pizza.
0: And this right? is going back to the exactly, and this is exactly the whole pie to a slice. This is going back to the aspect of long-term investment, long-term hold. Absolutely, long
1: time preference. Don't
0: look at this like quick, quick get rich quick. Yeah, look, it's, at, look at this as long-term. Take a time. And would you recommend? It? You were going to say something.
1: No, I was just going to reinforce what you're saying. You know, the key is uh, if you educate, if you really educate yourself, you're going to come to the conclusion that this is something that is being widely adopted. Actually, the adoption rate of Bitcoin is faster than the internet. Uh, you're going to see the prevailing narratives around you. You're going to see what the U.S. dollar is doing, and you're going to say, you know, there's only one way for this thing to go over time, and you're not going to see it go up. Every single day, mm-hmm. or even every single week. But right. if you zoom out, you're going to, uh, far enough, you're going to see that it's going to go up over time. And that's the kind of you, to your point, right. keep a low time frame. It's a long-term game. It's a long-term kind of wealth creation strategy. Right. But it's, I would say it's the lowest risk. And I know this is controversial. I know people, they're going to think I'm nuts. But I believe Bitcoin is the most conservative investment that anyone can make. Very conservative, but that comes from a real understanding and a real investment into education,
0: right? And and your track record should prove, considering what you've done in eight years, that it what you say is true when it comes to it.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't always one hundred percent into Bitcoin. I mean, back in so pre-COVID, I actually because I you know I have a family and I have to be. Responsible, so I was diversified.
0: Responsibility, okay, good. You know, hedging
1: risk. You know, what if I'm totally wrong about this Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and what if it turns out to be a disaster? But I was actually being kept up at night, not because of my Bitcoin investments, more concerned about the state of the general economy. And so I made the decision last year to get out of my equities, get out of my stocks. You know, the thing is about stocks is you're putting trust in corporate boards in management organizations organizations that are made up of people um and people are great but they're not infallible and they make mistakes and they're not used to dealing with situations like we had when an economy was shut down so i did not know what to expect that uncertainty kept me up at night so i made the decision instead of Selling it and putting it into U.S. dollars, which I knew that, you know, the Fed was already talking about. They're going to have to do something to backstop the economy. You know, so that U.S. dollars wasn't a place to put it. I put it into Bitcoin. It ended up being, you know, priced down. It went down to a low at 4000 And I'm never trying to time it. That's another thing that you don't want to do. You know, you want to establish what's happening and gain some conviction before you make a move. And also time that move and structure that move. Uh, but I made the decision at that point to, you know, unversify if that's a word, <laughs> or de yeah, diversify. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not
0: be diversified. Yeah, yeah. And, which is what I am.
1: Yeah, which is smart. Right. Um, I just see Bitcoin as being a um, unprecedented. It's not even once in a lifetime. It's once in humanity right. Uh, opportunity right now.
0: And it's funny you say that because you know one of the great. I would consider him one of the great financial teachers of our times, uh, would be Warren Buffett. And what he is known for is many things, to include one of his statements, which is, never put all your eggs in one basket, financially. However, you're proposing that because of the validity of basically the entire world and how Bitcoin has virtually positioned itself in layman's terms against what's happening, that putting all your eggs in one basket is what you get.
1: Yeah, and that comes from, again, I mean, I don't recommend anybody do that unless they um, do their own education, do their own research, come up with a conviction, you know, they have to come to that. Otherwise, you're doing it and you're not building that foundation that we spoke about earlier of really, you know... Questioning yourself and playing through uh, failure scenarios and other types of scenarios and game theory, um, historical kind of, you know, what is is this? You know, people say history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, right? You hear that. Yeah. you know, does that resonate? Like, have, does, you, does one person's understanding of history uh, drive of what we're seeing today? You know, when we we have these kind of situations that we're dealing with in the economy and understanding what happened in history is, I think, very important. So it's a very, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of education, but you come to the end of that and that's, uh, you know, either one or two things are going to happen or maybe even three things. You invest everything, you invest nothing, or you invest in between, yeah. right? And, you um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, what I've seen is uh, with the people that I've worked with and helped over the years is they start very small, they experiment, they understand it, and they eventually get more convicted over time.
0: So that's what I'm going to do, right? And, you know, my intention in coming into this interview was to understand it at least to a degree to be able to feel comfortable to where I could put... X amount of dollars into it, which would, in comparison to how much a Bitcoin cost, would be small. And then as time moves on, I can actually watch the growth rate. Yeah. And when it's your money involved or was your money involved, depending on how you look at it, I think you're going to pay a little bit more attention to... 100%. You know, That's what, the whole thing. That's happening. exactly it. So... Um, Shi- I see a world class bitcoiner
1: in your future.
0: Ah, world class, <laughs> very good. Uh, so I'll be buying some. What is it? Sh- not shiitakes. I'm thinking mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Satoshis. <laughs> Satoshi's. Yeah, Satoshis. <laughs> Satoshi's. We're gonna get you some
0: Satoshi's. Yeah, some Satoshi's, and uh, you know. Before I leave today, you're gonna
1: have some Satoshi's. I'm gonna give you some.
0: Oh, I don't have.
1: Well, I'll. We're gonna get you set up. Okay, I, I got everything
0: we need. You're all, all right. set. You're
1: all set. All right.
0: Um, well, before I get all fucking over giddy over here. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on uh, prior to uh, leaving today?
1: So I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing at with Digital Assets. Yeah, please. Um, so we're creating a uh, platform. Uh, really, if you think about it, there's a lot of interest in Bitcoin. There's a lot of interest in learning Bitcoin. So we want to uh, educate and create uh, world-class Bitcoiners at scale. Uh, we're going to do, be doing something called a master class, where it's going to be me teaching people about Bitcoin. Um, we're also doing one-on-one with clients so you know, people can come into our, our website and buy time and they can speak to me and they can get an understanding. Uh, and we're also going to have subscription packages that give you discounts on workshops and training. It's really all about education. So that's Sasco Digital. We have a Facebook page. Um, and we also have a website, sascodigital.com, that we're still working on, but at least you can get an idea of what we're doing there. And uh, I'm also on Twitter at OSEBEC. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram or follow Sasco Digital Assets, I should say, on Instagram. And we also have a Fairfield County Bitcoin discussion group that uh, has a lot of people that are interested in learning, so you can t- join that group as well. Including me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So they know where to find you, so let's just recap that. If they want to get a hold of you, where do they find you?
1: They can go to digital.com mm-hmm. and all the links will be on the bottom uh, for all of our other social. Uh, so we're going to have, you know, we have a twi- I have a Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter for Sasco Digital, Instagram, you know, YouTube, you name it, Facebook group. Uh, but if they go to digital.com they'll be able to see it all.
0: And this isn't a matter of the ability is there if someone wants to work with you. but the premise to the majority of your content, excuse me content, if not all, is just education. You just want to teach people.
1: I just want to teach people as a matter of fact, the education is going to be completely free right So you come into the website, you sign up and you're going to have a you know you think master class. You know, you're going to be taught by me, and uh, all completely free. And if you want to take it to the next level, and you you know you you want to learn more, then you know we'll work with you. Uh, but I'm a huge believer in free education. Because everything that I've ever learned about uh, not only about Bitcoin, but everything that I've ever learned in my life that, you know, that put me in a position in my career to make money, I've learned for free as well. Mm. Security, cryptography, technology, uh, SIP, communications, uh, networking, uh, Cisco switches, like all that stuff. I was able to go out and, you know, buy the equipment that I needed and, and put the time and the investment to... Uh, to learn, self learned, self learn, and I think it's really important. I think, I think uh, we want to create a space where people can come and you know learn on their own, yeah. uh, and we want it to be incredibly interactive uh, because I think it's a very important tool that people can use to um,
0: to grow their wealth over time. It's very humble and it's very giving, which, as you mentioned, the most valuable asset that we all have isn't Bitcoin, it's time, and you're giving. And would you agree to that, right? 100%. And and you're giving your time to educate for free, which I not only do, but I respect greatly. So make sure you guys check Omar out. And, uh, you know, before we sign off for the day, is there anything you want to say?
1: No, just thank you for listening. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more, you know, we want to hear from you. If you're listening to this and you have questions, uh, you know, how would they be able to
0: kind of comment on this? Uh, Is there a place that they can go? Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll have all your links in the show notes for both podcast and YouTube, uh, which they can go directly to you. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to jump on any of the comments on YouTube, you're more than welcome to. I guess
1: I'll see you guys there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Omar, thank you so much for being here. Guys, make sure you check them out. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you guys being here, listening, educating yourselves. We value not only education, but we also understand investing in yourself. And when you take the time to put aside... However long this episode was, about 90 minutes or so, When you take the 90 minutes or so and you put it aside and you invest in yourself and you learn, right? The next step is executing that knowledge. So we respect it. We thank you for being here. If you got anything out of this episode, if you learned one thing, all right? <laughs> I learned a shitload, so I, I would assume many people learned something. If you learned something... Drop a review for us on iTunes. We would really, really appreciate it. That helps this uh, episode and this show get out to new listeners. So with that said, thank you so much, guys. Omar, you want to thank everyone? Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure being here. And um, I look forward to potentially more episodes uh, to not getting shiitakis, <laughs> Satoshis. Satoshis. I'll get it. I'll eventually get it. And uh, and lots of things to come from this. So thank you for being here and giving us your time. Thank you. Of course, of course. Alright guys, we'll catch you next week for episode 90. Yeah. 97. <laughs> Talk to you later. Yes, can. can I kick it? Yes you we can well, I'm That flows in layers. Right now, Fife is a point sayer. At times, I'm a studio conveyor. Mr. Dinkins, would you please be my mayor? You'll be doing us a really big favor. Boy, this track really has a lot of flavor. When it comes to rhythms, quest is your savior. Follow us for the funky behavior. Make a note on the rhythm we gave you. Feel free, drop your pants, yeah your hair. Do you like the garments that we wear? instruct you to be the obeyer a rhythm recipe that you'll savor doesn't matter if you're minor or